1 Corinthians, I do hope we get out of chapter 11 today. Uh, I got fooled last week spending one verse, uh, but I thought it was important, so um, I talked a lot. Um, we've been discussing in this chapter the Lord's Supper, uh, impropriety in uh, taking the Lord's Supper. They misunderstood it. Uh, they turned it into, they used to call them, back then they called it a love feast. They, they had a love feast rather than the Lord's Supper. Uh, they would come together in different groups within one congregation. And, uh, uh, you know, like the rich, they were trying to outdo each other. And they didn't want poor people eating with them, so they separated themselves from the poor people. And uh, Paul said in doing that, you just destroyed the whole purpose of the Lord's Supper. Uh, communion with the Lord is supposed to unite us, strengthen us, build us up, uh, not tear us apart like they were doing. Uh, and then in verse 30, he said, For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Uh, we discussed this last week, uh, so I'd not bother it again today. But he goes on in verse 31, and he says, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. The word judge, the first time it appears, it means if we would examine ourselves, if we would uh, see what we're doing when we eat the Lord's Supper and know we're doing the right thing, then we're not going to be judged by God. We're not going to be condemned by the Word of God. For example, uh, let's take the people who were uh, making a love feast out of the Lord's Supper. Well, when Paul wrote this letter, they're going to be, you know, the preacher got on their toes. It's going to hurt. Why? Because of what the Word of God says. It wasn't Paul that was stepping on their toes. It was actually God's Word that passed through his mouth. And what he's saying here, the basic meaning is, if we would judge ourselves, then we wouldn't have to feel that pain of, of conscience because of uh, what we've done. We need to know what we're doing and uh, do it properly. And then we won't have to worry about being condemned by the word of God but when we are judged when we are condemned by the word of God we are chastened by the Lord we are disciplined I didn't know that it was wrong to have a love feast I thought it was okay when we eat the Lord's Supper Paul wrote words of God the words of God pricked my heart and now that they've pricked my heart, that's the Lord disciplining me so I'll know what the right thing is to do. We are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. That is in the final judgment. Uh, people, uh, some people, they get angry with a preacher uh, because uh, uh, he says, whatever scripture says uh, Matthew 19 and 9 uh, to get a to get a divorce for any cause other than adultery and then marry another person uh, this is this is a sin now a preacher he can stand up he can quote that verse and somebody may get angry with him well, what happened? It, the Word of God got on his toes and it punched him in his heart. Uh, 
and it violated his conscience because he knows the word of God is truth. But he doesn't want it to be true. But it is true, and you, nothing you can do about it. So generally what people do, they'll take it out on a preacher. That old sorry preacher, he don't know what he's talking about. Uh, the purpose of our hearing God's word, at least one of the purposes of our hearing God's word as it was meant to be understood is that if I'm not living accordingly, yeah, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to prick my conscience, but at the same time, it's going to enable me to stop doing what I've been doing and start doing what I ought to be doing. So even so, though there's a short-term pain, there's also the opportunity to straighten up and do it right, like a kid. Kid runs out in the road, jerk him up, spank his little bottom, and they, don't you run out that road again. Well, it hurts for a minute, and he gets mad at mom and daddy. Why, why did they do it? To save his life. He can learn not to walk, run out in the road anymore. And that's what Paul means when we are judged, condemned. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. When we are judged by the word of God, we are chastened, disciplined by the Lord. Why? That we may not be condemned with the world. That, of course, would be the final judgment. And that's what uh, the meaning of this passage is. Any questions? Sometimes when you go judge, 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 you got to remember judge carries different meanings depending on the text it's found in. Uh, the final judgment, of course, would be condemnation with the world. Therefore, brethren, since we are <clears throat> disciplined by the Lord, therefore, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. That's what they weren't doing. First one to the church house, don't start eating a meal. You wait for your brethren. That's one of the reasons why we have appointed times. We meet at 10 o'clock. Well, it's 10 o'clock we start. Some of the brethren aren't here yet. Well, you've got to go on. You can't just uh, wait for somebody you may not even know is missing because it's hard to tell someone. I look out, when I get back about five or six rows, I can't make out faces anymore. I can see people, but I can't make out the faces. So I don't know that people are here or not. 10 o'clock, you're supposed to be here, we start. Sometimes people can't, they have a problem, a uh, flat tire or whatever, uh, and they come in a little bit late. That's, that's all right, but that's the reason for appointing a certain time. You just don't, people don't just drift in whenever they want to, not knowing what time the service is gonna start. Uh, these people were to wait for one another. If service starts at 10, don't show up at 7 and start without the group. Wait for each other. But if anyone is hungry, if you're coming here to have a love feast, if, if you're coming here and going to have your breakfast or your dinner, uh, eat it at home, not at the church house, lest you come together for judgment. Now, unfortunately, some of our brethren have concluded from this that it's wrong to eat in a church house. Well, it would be wrong if that's what Paul's talking about, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. You've always got to keep it in the context in which it was written. 
Paul isn't prohibiting a fellowship meal. He hasn't got that on his mind. He's talking about the Lord's Supper. When you come together, it's not to eat a supper when you partake the Lord's Supper. It's the memorial and fellowship one with another in a total group. Uh, the fellowship meals, that's, that would be a whole nother matter. But uh, some of the brethren, I know down at uh, Gainesboro, there's a little church down there, and uh, I've uh, debated them over this very matter. They don't think it's proper, or used to didn't back about 25 years ago. I don't know what they do now, but uh, they use this verse to, to say that you can't eat in the church house. That's not what the apostle's talking about. That's a version of the context. The rest, with regards to the Lord's Supper, the rest of the questions that they've asked, remember, the apostles answering questions, the rest of the questions you've asked with regards to the Lord's Supper, I'll give you the answers when I get there. It's going to take too long to write them out, I suppose. We did get to chapter 12. There it is. I thought I would, Brian. You ain't Brian, you're Kevin. I told that to Brian this morning. I believe that'd make it. Uh, chapter 12 through 14, these all go together, all three chapters. They're all talking about the same thing. Uh, spiritual gifts being grossly misunderstood, misused. Uh, and even today, that's the case. When you talk about spiritual gifts, uh, sometimes I wonder, uh, I know I know uh, preachers, they go to these uh, seminars and various uh, preaching schools, Bible schools, um, and I know I know that they they know how to uh, understand context. Uh, they learn language, like the Greek language. Uh, they have a, a lot of skills that they learn while they go to these schools. Uh, and then they come out and, and they start talking about people speaking in tongues. And it, it makes me wonder, you know, why do they draw that conclusion, uh, given the, uh, the obvious information that we have? Why do they draw a conclusion that people speak in tongues today? I know it's not because they're ignorant. They're not ignorant. So why do they do it? I, I don't know. I guess different reasons for different people, but I think maybe one of the primary reasons would be that's what that particular denomination believes. They believe that people, Pentecostals, for example, they believe that people um, have the ability to speak in unknown tongues today um, and it 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 astounds me that they take that position because Paul in in the, right here these three chapters that's exactly what he's talking about is these particular gifts uh, he's explaining to the Corinthians because they misunderstood but it seems to me if if you have the answers to basic questions then the riddle is solved. You, you know what is still possible today and what is not and uh, why it was made possible in the first place. Uh, I don't, there's so much I don't understand about religion. I honestly don't. I don't hate anybody. Uh, I do sometimes wonder about certain men's uh, honesty. If, uh, 
if they preach something that they know is wrong. I, I wonder about that. I broke Charles Stanley. Oh, the first few times he, uh, he answered me, and then I got off on baptism for remission of sins, and he never answered me again. I know Charles Stanley knows the truth. He's got to know the truth. The man is brilliant. He's a brilliant man, great preacher. I always loved to hear it. I thought he was a member of the church for probably six months until I heard what he had to say about being saved, you know, saved by faith only and then a prayer. Uh, and that's when I started writing him. Uh, I know Billy Graham one time, uh, he wouldn't talk about baptism. He said it's too controversial. So he didn't talk about it. He have an altar call, call people up to repent, and uh, if a body had uh, faith and and prayed, uh, they would be saved. But he didn't talk about baptism because it's too controversial. That he knew what baptism was for. That's the only reason he didn't talk about it, because too many folks were against it. But he had to have known. I, I just don't understand how a man that believes in God could do that. I really don't. I, I would be terrified to do that. But some people obviously aren't. Well, we'll talk about spiritual gifts and their problems uh, in these three chapters. Deuteronomy 4.2, Proverbs. It's interesting, the beginning of the Bible, the middle of the Bible, the end of the Bible. Uh, all three basically say the same thing. Deuteronomy 4, 2, for example, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it. <clears throat> Why? That you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Don't add to the word of God. Don't take away from the word of God. Why? So that you can do the word of God. <clears throat> My voice is weird. Uh, so you can do the Word of God. If you take from it, if you add to it, you can't do the Word of God. If you change it in any way, you can't do what God wants. Therefore, leave it alone and just do what the Lord says. But uh, that's a problem. But it's interesting to me that the beginning of the Bible, the middle of the Bible, the end of the Bible, they all three basically say the same thing. A warning. Don't, uh, don't tamper with God's Word. It has a reason, it has a purpose. It, if we follow God's word, we're going to be what the Lord wants us to be. But if we tamper with it, we can't be what he wants us to be, we'll be something different. And that's going to be unacceptable in the day of judgment. Uh, I understand that, and I do my best uh, not to uh, twist the scriptures Sometimes I have, uh, find out later that I did, but uh, I try hard not to do that uh, because I respect the word too much. Uh, questions Paul's going to address. What are spiritual gifts? How many are there? Three, does every believer have these spiritual gifts? Now, a lot of folks say today that yes, they do. Uh, I don't have one. I suspect you don't either. Uh, and there's a reason for that. 
Number four, how can a person know which gift he has? Do gifts aid in Christian living? How does the Holy Spirit baptism relate to gifts? Are gifts for a special purpose in limited time? Can gifts be counterfeited, and how can one tell? He's going to address these matters, so I assume these are what he was questioned about. Uh, so uh, you kind of have an idea of what we're getting into as we proceed. Okay, uh, the background and testing of a counterfeit spiritual gifts, verses 1 through 3. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. The subject is made clear concerning what, this is what we're going to talk about, spiritual gifts. Uh, I don't want you to be ignorant about these spiritual gifts. Sometimes people are insulted if you imply they're ignorant. Uh, the fact of the matter is ignorant means simply to be without knowledge. Uh, and all of us are ignorant about certain things. Uh, I'm ignorant about surgery. I don't know anything about it. I'm ignorant about the law. I don't know much about it, except you better obey it and get a ticket. But uh, I've never studied these matters, and I just don't have any knowledge. Therefore, I'm ignorant. I'm not ashamed of that. Uh, I, I've not studied it on purpose. I had no reason to study it. Paul said when we talk about spiritual gifts, you're not supposed to be ignorant. You're supposed to have knowledge. He said, now I'm going to put some on you right now. In Ephesians 3, uh, 3 through 4, Paul said, by revelation, that's, of course, uh, divine inspiration, the Lord made known to me the mystery as I have already briefly written. He had discussed this matter with the Corinthians before, this mystery uh, of God, by which when you read what I have written, God made known to me the mystery. I have written about it. And when you read what I have written, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Uh, that's, that's how we know what the will of God is. We follow this process. Uh, I have learned nothing by direct inspiration or revelation. I never have and nobody else does either. This was done in the first century. There was a few individuals the Lord chose that the word of God would re reveal to. Uh, many, most, I suppose, uh, preached it and taught it, revelation that they received. But there were some individuals that he chose to uh, put it on paper, his revelation. It's a word-for-word -word transmission. Uh, they got this theory about uh, the apostle getting a thought or an idea and then he would take that thought and put it on paper in his own words. But when you read the last part of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, Paul makes crystal clear that it's a word-for-word -word translation. Every word in Scripture was given by inspiration of God. Now, the only words that don't belong there are italicized words. Uh, we're thankful to the, the 
translators that they were honest and made sure we understood that some of these words aren't in the original Greek. But every word that's uh, not italicized was actually given by the Holy Spirit. It's a word for word transmission. You remember what the Lord said back in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There are no unimportant words in Scripture. They're all important. Maybe to aid the subject, but they're all important because he wanted them there. Now, Paul said, I received this by direct inspiration from the Lord. I have put it on paper. And when you read this letter of mine, then you will know what I know. So I know I know what Paul knows. The Lord taught him, and now he's taught me. So I have knowledge like Paul had. The truth can be known. Some people say it can't. It can. Uh, the truth isn't uh, abstract. It's very uh, definitive. John eight thirty one and 2, Jesus said to some who believed in him, that if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. It wasn't enough to believe. You must abide. You must live by my word. And if you do, if you believe and live by my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And if you are my disciples indeed, you shall know the truth. And that truth shall make you free. Uh, Knowledge is not hard to ascertain. The Lord wrote scripture so that the common person could read it and understand it. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Uh, you don't have to be a preacher. Every person has the capacity to understand what the Lord has said. Now, he appointed some, like me, to try to help explain what he said. And when I speak, you can either take what I say or you can reject it. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, you don't have to, to pay attention to it. But if I'm right, you do want to pay attention to it because that's how you acquire knowledge. That's how I acquire knowledge. That's how we all acquire knowledge. If we are truly a disciple of Christ, we can know the truth. If you want to know the truth. In John chapter 7 and verse 17, the Lord said, If anyone wills to do God's will, he shall know the teaching. Before I can learn the Word of God, I've got to want to know the Word of God. I've got to put something into it. There has to be a desire on my part to know what it is the Lord wants me to do. And if I have such a desire, I will know what I want to find out. Sometimes it may take asking questions of four or five different people. But a lot of times I've asked several people, to help me understand something. That's never been uncommon in my life. 
Uh, I've never been proud and never bothered me to ask. Uh, I was ignorant. I didn't want to be ignorant, so I asked for help. What's wrong with that? That's the way I've been learning all my life. And I still learn that way today. <clears throat> today, I still used to. I conversed with Brother Wayne Jackson a lot, but he's no longer with us. But uh, I talk to other people when I need some help trying to understand something. We can know the truth. If you want to know the truth, you will know the truth if you are a disciple. Uh, Romans 1, 13, 11, 25, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 basically all say the same thing. I do not want you to be ignorant. God does not want us to be ignorant. The Lord desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, the Lord made us. The Lord gave the word of God. I'm certain that knowing us, the Lord was able to transmit his will to us in a way in which you and I can understand. If I had to teach kindergarten children in the other building, I, I don't think I could do it. I don't know that I can communicate at that level. I got no experience of it except for kids at home. But as far as uh, being equipped to teach it in a class setting, I, I don't, I'm not qualified for that. Uh, so I wouldn't be able to do it. The Lord, though, he knew us, and he knew how to talk to us in a way in which we can understand that which he wants us to know. Now, okay, before we get too far off track, there are things in Scripture that are very hard to understand. But if you take a look at them, you'll understand that it does not have anything to do directly with your salvation. The book of Revelation, for example. Uh, there's several verses in there. It's fairly easy to understand. But the book of Revelation, for most everybody, is a very challenging book to try to understand. Well, what if you never understand it? I don't think it's good to take position. Well, I can't understand it, so I'm not going to try. I don't think that's a wise thing to do. But suppose I do try to understand it, and I, I can't. I'm not going to lose my soul because of it. Because there's very little in the book of, Re book of Revelation that pertains to our own salvation. I, it, it drove me crazy for a long time. It's, I probably studied that book for 20 years, and I couldn't make any sense out of it. Well, 15 years. And I couldn't make any sense out of it. And since that time, I've written uh, three commentaries on the book. When uh, I finally dawned on me uh, how I should try to understand it. I was going about it the wrong way. Uh, and then I think I do understand it. I might be wrong. I, I wouldn't say 100% I'm right. I think I'm right. But I could be wrong too. And what if I am wrong? So what? I gave it my best effort. And I'll keep on giving it my best effort. I hope I do understand it rightly. But even if I don't, it's not going to cause me to lose my soul. Okay? They're all hard things to understand. There's no doubt about it. But anything that pertains directly to our salvation, 
the, the statements are going to be very simple. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. You can ask a 10-year-old, read it to him. What does that mean? That means you've got to believe God. You've got to be baptized before you can be saved. A child understands that. I can understand it too. Anything that pertains directly to our salvation will be in a statement like that. They'll always be very simple. The difficult part is to believe it. That's the hard part. That's where a lot of people get tripped up. Well, I know it says that, but I don't think that's what it means. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. How could it not be what it says? Preacher one time, old farmer, I think it really happened, I'm not sure. Some uh, city preacher, uh, he held a meeting at a little church, and uh, there was a Church of Christ right there, not far off, and uh, he challenged uh, the preacher to debate. And uh, the preacher, he was a farmer, he just stood up, and pre he did like I do, stood up on Sunday and he talked. Uh, they had their debate, and uh, I'll never forget it. The, the farmer preacher, uh, he started out first. He turned over to Mark 16, 15, and 16. Uh, the thrust of it was, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He closed his book. It was over baptism for the remission of sins. He closed his book, and he sat down. This other preacher, he got up, and he talked for a long time. He could use big, long words, the kind of words Relin comes up with. No joke. That rascal had questions for us last night. We had to guess if the word was actually a word or if he made it up. And I think I might have got three of them right. And that's only because I guessed right. Those words that he pulled out were so hard, I never heard of most of them before. And I don't know how I got started talking about that. Oh, I remember now. That preacher was using big, long words and uh, went on for half hour, 45 minutes, whatever it was. He got done, and uh, he turned around, kind of smirked at that old farmer preacher, and he went and sat down. It's time for the farmer preacher to get back up and make his pitch. He opened up his Bible, and he said, Mark 16, 15, 16, still there. And he closed his Bible and went over there and sat down. That was, uh, that was the debate. What are you going to say? It doesn't mean what it says? Well, that's what people says. I had a man tell me that one time. He was a Baptist preacher, a good friend of mine. And uh, me and him both, he hadn't been a Baptist long, and I hadn't been a Christian long. But uh, I didn't know hardly anything, but I did know uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And I uh, got to talking to him one time. I, I said, you know, you got to be baptized for remission of sins. He said, what makes you say that? And I said, well, Acts 2, 38. Uh, uh, he who believes, nah, where am I at? You must repent and be baptized for in order to receive remission of sins. And he said, well, that's not what it means. How can you say that? <laughs> what, what could it possibly mean? Uh, some people don't want to know. 
They don't want to know. And if you don't want to know, you won't. You don't have to. You can put it in the back of your mind, do everything in the world to forget it. If you want to be ignorant about the matter, you can choose to do that. But what good is it? What good is it? I know God is. I know the Bible is his word. I know I can know the truth. And I know the truth can lead me to salvation. I not only learn it and do it myself, I've taught every member of my family to do the same. Because if we don't get this right, there are no second chances. When it's over, it's over. It's done. So why would we, why would we play games with something that's so very important to our lives and our eternal existence? I can't understand that. I tell you the truth, I can't understand it. Sometimes it drives me nuts thinking about it. And I have to get off the subject because I just don't understand. Unless a person doesn't believe. I don't know. Maybe they don't really believe in God. I don't know. Maybe they don't really believe the Bible is the word of God. I don't know. If you don't believe, of course, it's not something you're going to be interested in. But if you truly believe it, I don't know how you can go around it. I just don't understand. Knowledge is imperative, and that's my whole point. We must have knowledge. I'm not saying you must be a Bible scholar, but we must know what the Lord wants us to do day by day. Very simple. It's not complicated. We can know. We should know. And we will know if we want to know. You know that you were Gentiles and carried away to these dumb idols. Carried away is a Greek word, apago. Uh, you'll find it in Mark 15 and verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the hall. Now you can get in your mind what that picture looks like. They're escorting the Lord out of the praetorium. Um, that's what Paul is saying here in verse 2. Uh, you're being carried away from where you ought to be. You're being carried away to where you ought not to be. You know that you were Gentiles and you were carried away to these dumb idols. The word dumb means to be without voice. Uh, uh, Bill, he taught me about going to India and preaching. Uh, one of the things that stuck in my head was uh, he said you, he was preaching and had an idol here and he said, look at this idol. He said, you got to get up there and give him a bath. You got to get up there and, and wash his nose. This God of yours isn't capable of taking care of himself. You got to take care of him. Now, how's he going to take care of you? You know, just a killer question. But uh, that's the whole thing about these idols. There's no voice. 
The idol can't tell you what to do. Who's telling you what to do then? If the idol can't tell you what to do, who's telling you what to do? There are men who's telling you what the idol wants you to do. They're telling you what this stone said to them. And people were carried away by that, however you were led. The state of unbelief was universal uh, in the Roman Empire, pretty much. Uh, they said they had belief, but most of in the Roman, uh, I forgot how many gods there were. Uh, I forgot. Uh, in Athens, there was more idols than there were people. The, the idol population was larger than the people population. Uh, people basically believed in nothing. They thought the gods might punish them the gods, who are they? I don't know, just the gods. Uh, they had no knowledge, they hadn't been instructed because this dumb idol can't have talk, he doesn't have a voice. This I say th therefore, in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, uh, their, their idea, about God was completely futile. It had no value whatsoever. Paul said, you don't need to live that way any longer. They have their understanding darkened. Their mind is darkened. They see no light. Why? Because they're alienated from the life of God, who is the light. They had nothing to do with the one true living God. They had everything to do with the thousand idol gods that were upheld in the Roman Empire. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. They have no knowledge because of the blindness of their heart. They put blinders on themselves. They didn't know the truth about the one true living God because they were ignorant. They were without knowledge. Paul showed up in Ephesus. He's going to shed light on the subject of God. Every time he spoke, the light was shining. And from that light, they could understand life. These people, these Gentiles, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. The, uh, the empire, for the most part, <clears throat> was a lot like our major cities are today. Anything, everything goes. You know, and now in these big cities, they, they walk into a store and they steal stuff. Uh, you, if you don't steal over $1,000, if a cop arrests you, you go to jail and they'll turn you loose. They don't prosecute anymore if it's less than $1,000 that people steal. So they go into these markets and things and they just walk out with stuff. The markets, the people are told, don't, don't try to stop anybody. They might pull out a gun and shoot you. You just let them walk out. So they're standing there watching these people walk out. They're, they're living on the sidewalks. There's drugs everywhere. It's a mess in our major cities. It makes me think a lot of the Roman Empire. That's the way it was. It was a mess because anything went. There were no rules. There was no light because there was no God. Therefore, verse 3, because he didn't want them to be ignorant, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. 
Anyone who speaks by the Spirit of God is not going to say Jesus is anathema. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If a person has knowledge, they're not going to say that Jesus is an accursed thing. If they have knowledge, they'll be able to say that Jesus is Lord. But if they have no knowledge, they'll deny both. And Mark, how long is it going to be before they come back, Sean? Do you just ring the bell? I got five minutes. Four. It's over. I can't get this out in two minutes. I got it. We'll stop. I got to have this one. Hey, buddy. Are you talking to me? Did you call me Pi? I don't think he did. <laughs>